0: Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Tuesday. Today we are talking to Sean Fitzgerald. He is the host of actual justice warrior on YouTube. I've had him on before talking about the Innocence Project and the fraudulent information that they often put out to try to get people exonerated or off of death row. And he talks about the truth behind these cases that are often presented to the media in a way that is simply not factual. But we are also going to be talking about the soft on crime policies that are being implemented in the name of racial equity that are actually causing more victims, more crime, more violence. And so we're going to discuss that per usual. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com slash for a discount on American Meat Delivered. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Now, without further ado, here is our friend, Sean Fitzgerald. Sean, thanks so much for joining us again. So tell us once again, you told us last time, but just as a refresher, what your YouTube channel is about and why you started it.
1: Uh, uh, My channel is called The Actual Justice Warrior, and I cover primarily criminal justice related issues. I've been focusing a lot on local crime surge, specifically in New York City, because I unfortunately live in New York City. And uh, I also do um, criminal justice reform, like response videos to certain proposals or efforts or campaigns to get who I believe to be guilty people out of prison.
0: Okay, so tell me about the recent crime surge in places like New York City. In your estimation, what policies are causing this?
1: so one of the biggest ones by far in new york state is bail reform but there's also a general attitude across the country and it was first referenced by the fbi director back in 2014 called the ferguson effect Mm. and it's this idea that as we become more concerned about and we should be concerned to a certain extent about um, police being biased or racist or just inappropriate in their uses of force based on these bad cases that the cops kind of pull back and then the criminals fill that vacuum. But in New York State specifically, it's bail reform. The fact that these that you cannot be held in jail for more than a few hours after you commit serious f- crimes, including aggravated vehicular manslaughter, is absurd.
0: Right. But it's not necessarily being applied to everyone. There was that bodega owner a few weeks ago that defended himself against an armed robber in his store, and then he ended up going to Rikers. And I think after blowback, the D.A. released him from Rikers. But I mean, you're talking about bias in the police force. The same people who complained about that have no problem weaponizing their own biases as a prosecutor.
1: Right. Well, the the Alba case, uh, the guy wasn't actually an armed robber. He Mm. came in to fight him over a three dollar EBT transaction that didn't go through with his girlfriend because she felt he was too rude to her about her not having the money for that transaction. So he comes behind the counter, assaults Alba, who is 61 years old, this man who was out without bail or released early on an assault on a police officer charge and a bunch of other things. Uh, attacks him and then Alba grabs a knife that they use to open packages and he defends himself against him. And they charged Alba with a second degree homicide, which is, I, I believe, first degree homicide in New York is a very specific charge that relates to government officials. So it actually would have been the highest homicide charge that they could have gotten on him and what's even more wild is that the girlfriend the one who started this whole altercation ended up stabbing alba during the course of that incident but they ruled that since alba unnecessarily escalated the situation he doesn't have a right to self-defense but she has a right to self-defense in defense of others in her wow. stabbing of alba and by the way she has not been charged to this point
0: point. and i mean does this have to do in your perspective With race. I mean, obviously, Alba is not white himself. I think that he is maybe an Indian immigrant. And then the two other uh, people involved in this are black. Do you think that this has to do with kind of like this new fangled definition of equity?
1: Right. I, I do think so. But quick correction, Alba is actually from the Dominican Republic. Oh, OK. My bad. Yeah, it, there there's definitely this idea that the unequal outcomes, it, it's something I, I call the racism of the gaps, which I got from a friend of mine, Devin Tracy, mm-hmm. that if you can find a gap. Like a, a play gap,
0: on the God, and the, uh, God of the yeah. gaps in case people that didn't exact, catch that. That yeah. exact
1: art. And if you could find a gap and you don't need an, uh, and you don't have an explanation or you don't even care for an explanation you just fill that gap with racism so you know in that instance we have a district attorney who doesn't like to prosecute anybody alvin bragg he doesn't like to set bail for anyone and he actually asked for a half a million dollar bond against alba and you know bond is supposed to be you're going to flee the country which he wasn't going to flee the country or you're a serious threat to reoffend during the time of you know before your trial and Like, what are the chances that somebody else will come behind the counter, grab hold of him to where he can't escape and he happens to see a knife there? Like, it made no sense. Yeah. But so I do think it's an equity agenda, but it's also an agenda against self-defense. Yeah. Like, we see the left coming after that on every single regard.
0: And not even with a a gun. So it doesn't even have to do with that. I mean, what do you think is behind that. Here you have two brown people. Of course, that's not something that I care about, but in the progressive world, that's something that they care about. You've got two brown people. They got in an altercation. One defended himself with a knife. And you're saying the charge against him was a very serious charge, very high bond. So it's not just that he was charged, but he was charged to that extent. Can you, I guess, I don't know if you have to be a mind reader or just kind of be insightful into what the progressive agenda is, but why? Like, why is there a, an attack on that kind of self-defense?
1: Well, I, I used to believe that, you know, it was maybe like saying that they're pro-criminal was a little bit hyperbolic. Hmm. But in this instance, this guy is a felon. He was released multiple times. He had pending charges, should have never been out in the first place. Alba's an immigrant who became a citizen 14 years ago. He's been in the country for 30 years. He works 13-hour shifts at these bodegas. And it's funny because a week before this, the biggest controversy was some, um, some kid who just moved to New York making fun of bodegas. My mildly, but apparently you can attack somebody in a bodega, but you dare not make fun of the fact that they don't have too many groceries. But yeah, it, it really is a pro-criminal agenda. It's the idea that if you're committing crimes, you must be a victim by our overall society. And that's what led you to be in that position in the first place. So it's 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 pro-criminal, but it's also the idea that society needs to take responsibility rather than the individual.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And in case people didn't catch it, in case they missed, I don't remember what his nickname was, Bodega Guy or like Bodega Bro. It was Bodega Bro. He was, um, it was a guy who was like making TikToks about he moved to New York City and he was like, what the heck? Where are the grocery stores? I have to go to these bodegas and there's not enough food there. And it was like all in good fun. And then he ended up getting so much backlash online. It was racism, elitism, whatever. And then he got fired from his job. And so your point is obviously the silly double standard that apparently you can go in and like start a fight with a bodega owner that's fine, but you can't make silly TikToks about them. Ridiculous. So as you were talking about what kind of led to that fight, that apparently it was some kind of like alleged mistreatment by Alba toward like the girlfriend, that seems to kind of be a common theme in these altercations and crimes that are committed in New York City. I'm sure you saw that there was um uh, there was a guy by the name of Michael Morgan he faces charges of attempted murder and criminal possession of a weapon because he shot someone outside of McDonald's because of cold fries i think that there this might be the same or there was another case that i saw on twitter where a guy thought that the McDonald's worker was like making fun of his girlfriend and so he came there and he literally like shot the McDonald's employee and the knack committed murder. There was also I'm sure you saw like this chaotic video that was going viral of um, is it is it Belfries or, or Belfries at New York in New York City where the um, they were mad that they had to pay like a dollar seventy five for sauce. And they so they just started like tearing the place down and like throwing bricks at the employees. So is this a common occurrence in New York City or is it just that we think that it is because it's reported by the news?
1: Well, it, it's becoming more common. It is backed up by the statistics. Pre-George Floyd, New York City was the safest big city statistically in the entire country. We had under 300 murders a year. And you know at the peak, we would have 2,100 murders a year. So this was a huge deal. Uh, Chicago, which has a third of our population, would actually have double the number of raw murders, making their homicide rate six times our murder rate. And now since the George Floyd reforms, our raw number of murders have gone up by about 150 and we're going to be approaching 500. So it's very common. And the McDonald's um, crime crime that you're speaking of in the Bronx, he, his mother received cold fries. She went home, told her son he came back an hour later and he shot that person in the face. He He died over that, like a regular McDonald's employee that, you know. Probably he probably gave her the fries hot. They just were cold by the time she got home, like died over that situation. And it's it reminds me of another crime that actually got the whole like Hispanic community out in force because it was a robbery in uptown Manhattan of a Burger King. And he shot this like 19 year old girl that was um she was just giving him the money too slowly.
0: Yeah, right. And I mean, I guess that this attitude of entitlement has always been there, but has certainly been kind of aggravated and even rewarded by some of the policies that you're talking about. I mean, this guy, Michael Morgan, the cold fries guy, uh, he had a long track record. Like he probably should have already been in prison so he couldn't have committed this crime. And it seems like that is the pattern, whether it's in New York City or Chicago or Houston or Denver or L.A., whatever it is, we see these horrific crimes, these horrific murders, and we find out nine times out of 10 that it's because some progressive judge or progressive prosecutor was they were afraid to or they just were unwilling to actually exact the punishment. That was needed to protect the communities. I mean, this seems to be happening across the board.
1: And by the way, the Morgan guy, when he was arrested, actually admitted to another murder that he committed in 2020. So he, you know, he could have been caught years ago, but obviously, you know, we're we're trimming back our anti-crime unit, which deals with guns, uh, illegal possession of guns in the city of New York. So who knows what would have happened if New York hadn't committed themselves to being soft on crime? Yeah. But it was another. These these are called uh, by a channel called Active Self Protection ego battles where people get into these violent situations over nothing of value of substance. So it's he killed somebody in another one of these ego battles in 2020 and he was just out prowling the streets. And again, this is a 24 or 20-year-old 20 dude that's that's committed these murders. It's absurd.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. That actually reminds me of um something that CS Lewis has written about that like every vice and every sin is actually just a manifestation of pride and so when it comes to murder when it comes to hate when it comes to different forms of violence it always starts with pride it always kind of starts with ego obviously we can't necessarily change that by law but you can put laws in place to try to protect people from those kinds of crimes or any kinds of violent crimes um being committed uh and to Uh, to follow up on
1: that um So I I, I love the saying that pride is not the opposite of shame. It is the source. Mm. So like we should probably stop promoting pride as a culture because, you know, when your pride is wounded, you end up in these situations. So like, but we have a culture that seems to be emphasizing pride for a bunch of different groups, most notably, obviously the LGBT community. They have a whole month dedicated to it. But yeah, we should really uh, pull back on that because, you know, that pride is really hubris.
0: It's it's not a virtue. And we've known that. I mean, really, until pretty recently in the West, we've regarded humility as a virtue and pride as a vice. And still in many parts of the world today, it's still regarded. Humility is still regarded um, as a virtue, unfortunately, just as we have done away with many values in the west we have done away with the value and the virtue of humility now unfortunately when we're talking about this you mentioned like the racism of the gaps theory i think thomas Sowell would say it's this like fallacious idea that all forms of disparity um, are due to discrimination and he wrote a whole book kind of just completely dispelling that myth that yes disparities exist they do not necessarily mean that there has been some form of discrimination. And as we see that mentality that all disparities are because of discrimination is actually leading to really stupid and really deadly and really inequitable policies. When we're talking about most of the cases that we're talking about, we unfortunately are talking about not just black perpetrators of the crime, but also black victims. I think that's also a, a really Interesting, sad, troubling, disturbing part of the whole like social justice movement is that it is always out to protect, in particular, the black criminal and completely ignoring the fact that the vast majority of victims of these crimes perpetrated by black people are also black people. It seems like they're only concerned with that disparity, the disparity of crimes committed and people arrested and not the disparity of the disproportionate rate of black people that die by those crimes.
1: A perfect example of this is the is the latest Black Lives Matter hoax that was fortunately stopped in its infancy. It was out of Minneapolis, of course. And uh, it was the case of Tekle Sunberg or Techle Sunberg. Yes. Um, where he. He was shooting into a woman's apartment who happens to have black children, which, you know, again, doesn't matter to me, but the woman brought it up and it theoretically should matter to the people chanting Black Lives Matter. Right. She had to call the police. She had a firearm in her home and the and they told her the 911 dispatcher told her not to engage the shooter, which is wild and again goes to how people feel about self-defense. But this woman had to go get her stuff out of her apartment, which was destroyed And was and saw a bunch of protesters blocking her entrance. So she confronts them and you hear them screaming at her to Mm -hmm. shut up and like, you know, all these different disparaging things. And then the body cam footage comes out and you see her running to to the doorway when she is trying to see if the coast is clear to get her kids out of the way. And then the cops grab her and they yank her behind the line. Behind the cops, because obviously there's a shooting situation there and you just hear the terror in this woman's voice as her two young children are uh-uh. stuck in the house and she doesn't know what's going to go down. But the cops won't let her pass because they have to get her out of out of the way. So all that horror and terror versus this guy who was you know, inflicting that and a family that didn't appear to check up on him and that are now claiming he was just having a mental health episode And you just see the crowd just coming after there was a woman who tried to fight her. They're telling her that she doesn't belong there, even though she actually lives there. So it it is absurd. And this is a perfect example of uh, an actual criminal who happens to be black taking priority over black children that are, you know, ages four or five. They were tiny.
0: All right, quick pause to tell you about our first sponsor of the day, and that is Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is an application, a software that you can put on your phone, you can put it on your computer, all of your devices to hold you accountable in what you are looking at on line. This is a safeguard against looking at pornography. If you care about your own well-being, including your spiritual well-being, as well as that of your family, especially your teenagers that are in the house and maybe they're online, you want to protect them as much as possible. You need to look into Covenant Eyes. They have walked with over 1.5 million people toward a porn-free life. I know it's something that's hard to talk about, but gosh, it is so important for us to protect our eyes, to protect our minds as much as we possibly can. And it really comes down to being a heart issue, a soul issue. There has to be a will there. There has to be a desire for repentance. But putting up these hedges of protection, putting These safeguards can really help us. Um, And I'm so thankful that Covenant Eyes has developed a technology that can help Christians um, in their path of purity and trying to honor the Lord in what they look at and consume online. Just one account from Covenant Eyes gives you unlimited users. So just get one account, you pay that monthly rate, everyone in your home can use it. It's protection for an unlimited number of devices, your cell phone, computers, iPads, tablets, your whole family for one price. The protection is on the device itself. It goes with you wherever you go. And once you go online to coveyescom slash you can learn a little bit more about How exactly it works, go to CoveEyes at C O V Eyes.com slash Alley and you'll get a free 30-day trial. So that's CoveEyes.com slash Alley for a free 30-day trial of Covenant Eyes. Eyes com slash Alley. I mean, well, it happens constantly. You constantly see Black Lives Matter and the social racial justice movement advocating on behalf of violent criminals who happen to share their melanin count and completely disregarding the victims. And they'll say things like, well, um, punishing them is not going to bring the victims back or punishing them. Punitive justice is not real justice, which I think is ridiculous. That's a ridiculous statement. Actually, justice can be purely punitive, but it can also be protective while being Punitive. Like, I think about back at the height of like the Black Lives Matter riots and protests. There was a little eight-year-old girl, Sequoria Turner. It was in Atlanta. And her mom and her were in the car. They just happened to turn into a Wendy's where Black Lives Matter activists were burning it down for who knows what reason, I guess in the name of racial justice. They were just trying to turn around to go the other direction. Black Lives Matter activists shot into her car, murdered this little eight-year-old girl. And I have, I mean, Her name is not one that's going to be on like NFL jerseys or NBA jerseys or one that is remembered the same way that, for example, Breonna Taylor's is. And so and these are people who say that they are working on behalf of the oppressed when really they're advocating for the oppressor in most cases.
1: Yeah. Well, a great example actually was out of Texas a few years ago. It was the same month as Jussie Smollett's uh, actual crime that definitely happened against him. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And that was the case of Jasmine Barnes, where this seven-year-old girl was shot on New Year's Day and she was killed. And initially, people thought the suspect was a white person. So you had a Sean King-led campaign. People were angry that President Trump wasn't talking about this local crime story. There was a manhunt, a bunch of tips and all that. It turns out it was two black perpetrators. And you can actually look at the news stories because I've been looking for updates on this case. And the day that they arrested them, the national news coverage stopped. They didn't follow the trial or any of the things that we would typically see in a case where the perpetrator was white, because all of a sudden it wasn't interesting anymore. So it's it's almost like you had NBA players and NFL players paying for this girl's funeral, raising money for her, standing next to her mom. And overnight, in an instant, they just washed their hands of the situation. And Sean King did as well.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Sean King, I don't know if you saw that headline that came out that said that he used $40,000 of donor funds to buy a dog, a dog that I guess was $40,000. And this is not the first time that he has been accused of misusing the donations that he raises in the name of dead black people, by the way. And people keep supporting him. It's wild. I mean, there's so many grifters like this in the so-called social justice movement.
1: Oh, Samira Rice, Tamir Rice's mother yes. has come out and accused all of these people. She says none of this money went to her and they would release statements that are like that basically say, well, we're raising money for the cause, not for the individual. But they're putting her son's name all over right. this situation, uh, all over their fundraising emails and and that's how they're generating revenue. And by the way, one of the nastiest things that Sean King uh, has ever done is that when Chadwick Bozeman, the actor who played Black Panther, died, yes. uh, he put him in a fundraising email that same day or the very next of course.
0: day. Of course. Ugh, that's And I, I don't think people realize and hopefully it's going to be uncovered. It has in in large portions, but not completely just the huge well-funded grift that is the social racial justice movement i mean blm is a really good example of that using tens of millions of dollars to buy their own properties right
1: yeah oh and um transferring funds because one of the founders i think patrice colors uh her wife runs a charity operation out of Canada and they bought this former headquarters of the Communist Party in Canada mansion oh. through a transfer from Black Lives Matters, like nonprofit to this nonprofit so that they could have a headquarters. Now, they insist that this is totally for business purposes and all that. But there were, we've seen videos of them hosting parties and doing social media you know, campaigns out of mansions in L.A. So I just... This this money, it's uh, it's not accounted for. They they've actually been ordered by the state of California, of all places, to stop raising money in that state because they have not they don't have the proper person uh, like the proper a treasurer or an accountant, whatever, whatever they're needing to do the reporting properly. They're not in compliance as of twenty nineteen. And and it's just like, oh, OK, I guess that's the thing that happened. But, you know, yeah. they, they say racial equity. So it's it's fine, I guess.
0: Well, does that surprise you though that California has kind of tried to crack down on them and has actually tried to enforce the rules, make them follow the rules? Uh,
1: it. It's surprising because they're a very left-leaning state. But if you think about it, they have probably the most patrons to these organizations. True. And, you know, they might even be or and all these properties are being bought in California. So you would think they're being inundated with complaints and all this stuff. So, you know. Yeah.
0: I Yeah. Um, I I haven't talked about this. I'm sorry to spring this on you. If you don't know enough about it to talk about it, that's fine. But I've been meaning to talk about on my show the case of Ethan Lemming, the Ohio teenager um, that was murdered. And of course, LeBron James, who says that he's scared to go outside because he thinks that he is going to be hunted, I guess, by white supremacists and who says that he's on the side of social justice. He had he hasn't had anything to say about this and really the mainstream media hasn't really either. Um, Do you know anything about the details of that case and uh, the response to it?
1: Yes, so Ethan Liming, he was a 17 year old kid and he was out with his friends um, and they were firing off this, uh, it it was described initially as a water gun, but it shoots water beads. And uh, of course the city of New York recently banned it because there was a shooting over this exact toy as well. And they shot at some people in a basketball court and um, they they ended up chasing them down or two people in the car ended up chasing them down. And then they ran back towards the car and Ethan stepped out of the car because he thought they were like horsing around, according to his friends and these three individuals uh three men plus a woman beat him to or the woman was uh, you know observing uh beat him to death like they jumped him and they beat him to death and this happened to be in a parking lot adjacent to LeBron James Promise School in Akron Ohio or in a parking lot that is a part of the school i i, I never got that clarified but during the during the manhunt because they didn't find these individuals the family was begging for media attention and LeBron essentially his organization tweeted out like thoughts and prayers which is something that LeBron has specifically criticized in the past and um they 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 said, oh, don't worry, the school's safe. It's not like, you know, class isn't in session. Don't worry about it. So like this kid died. The parents were looking for attention. They were trying to raise money to, you know, maybe if you have a tip that will you'll get a reward. And it got no attention from LeBron. And LeBron, you know, says that he's very involved in the Akron community. This happened at his school. He's promoted cases where the perpetrators appeared to be white and the victim appeared to be black in the past, even though they were super flimsy. and. In this case, it was three black men that beat this white kid to death. And by the way, the white kid was two of his friends that were there were black kids. So yeah. like, but they beat him to death. And it's just not interesting. Even when it's an active manhunt, it's not interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, the story is just so terrible. Beat this boy to a pulp, like you said. The f- the friends who, again, I hate that we even have to talk about race. But as you said, the two friends are black. The people who beat him are black. And like try to pull Ethan back into the car and drive away to get to the hospital. He was unconscious at this point. And reportedly, the teens that beat him up stopped the car, pulled him out of the car to continue to beat him and kick his head in. Um, I mean, just a horrible story. I feel so bad. Sadly, for his parents, I can't imagine this. But again, I mean, crickets from the media and there's no assumptions of racial, racial prejudice, which I'm not assuming that either. But of course, pointing out the double standard that, if the races were reversed, there's not, there's never even a question, well, what was the motivation? What was the circumstance? What was the context? How do we know that it's racism? It's always just assumed if the races are reversed. Here, we're not even considering, no one is even considering that this might be a hate crime because of the color of his skin, because apparently that's just completely impossible. And like you said, it's uninteresting. Also, this was reported by Fox News on July 29th, The Ohio grand jury indicts three suspects on lesser charges in teen's death. So these are um, there were two brothers, twenty and nineteen, and then their twenty one year old cousin who were all charged. And they charged him on two count, or charged them on two counts of involunt, uh, involuntary manslaughter, felonies in the first and third degree respectively, and one count each of first degree assault and fourth degree aggravated assault. What do you think about those charges?
1: I, I don't know the specifics of Ohio law, but I would think in general this would be an aggravated manslaughter when you're stomping somebody's head. First of all, I'm, I'm of the belief that if you start if you start kicking somebody after they're unconscious, you know, like whatever happens in a fight between guys is whatever. But as soon as they're on the ground, as soon as they're unconscious, when you start kicking them in the head or you keep hitting them, I'm of the belief that that should be attempted murder because that to me, that is. That is the requisite intent. You know he's on the ground. So I think that they should be charged with murder. But at least an aggravated manslaughter. This was a three-on-one beating.
0: Yeah. And speaking of three-on-one BD, unfortunately, every time we talk about a thing, I'm like, oh, this reminds me of another crime that I saw. And this one, again, is in New York City. I'm sure you saw. Or, oh, no, this is in San Francisco, another hotbed of all of this stuff. Um, there was a beating of a 70-year-old Asian woman. That's how the that Fox News describes it. And police seek 11-year-old and three other suspects in this case. What is your confidence level that they are going to be charged with anything significant?
1: Well, they did vote out the the Chesa Boudin in in San Francisco. So, Was that surprising
0: to you? Sorry to do an aside, but like, what did you think about that?
1: I think at a certain point, even the most liberal cities can't deal with the fact that they have somebody like Chesa because, you know, we talk about these like woke or left leaning district attorneys a lot like on my channel. But the thing is, is Chesa was a whole other level. One of the first things he did, and I believe it was called the Friday Night Massacre, is he fired all the prosecutors that work in the different individual units in the district attorney's office. Because, you know, you hire a district attorney and or you elect a district attorney, the people hire them, and they run the office. But you have teams of prosecutors, like careerists, that are actually doing a lot of the legwork. And Chesa Boudin got rid of the gang unit like you just fired all the prosecutors, the homicide unit and the robbery unit. like every single key aspect of a prosecutor prosecutor's office, he got rid of all of them. So hopefully you see some of these people come back. And, you know, this will be referred to a juvenile case. The child is eleven years old, so I don't so expect sad. anything crazy, but something more serious than what Chessa would have done,
0: yeah. And I mean, people forget that Chessa's parents were literally communist terrorists. And so he kind of didn't have any hope from a very young age. This is a social justice warrior who doesn't actually believe in any form of justice whatsoever. Got cop
1: cop killing terrorists. They were involved in the uh, Brinks truck robbery. And by the way, pardon his father, pardoned by Andrew Cuomo.
0: Oh, man, it is all connected. OK, let's move a little bit down the state in uh, L.A. I'm interested in what you think about this potential recall of uh, Gascon.
1: Um I I'm not I'm not I'm not sure for the particulars of that. I, I find California's recall system very weird. Yeah. and all that but I'm I'm not sure about the uh, the specifics of that specific uh race or or anything like that. I haven't looked into it.
0: Yeah, I think he's just another one of those very intensely progressive DA's that refuses to um charge career criminals and people are dying as a result. There was that one terrible story um, of like uh, there was a car crash I think it was like a 14 15 year old kid who was driving super fast down like an alleyway or through like a back road and hit uh, a mom and her one-year-old and of course it turns out that he should have still been in prison but Gascon refused to like bring the charges forward and I think people even like you said like even in places like LA which are really progressive, at the end of the day, you don't want to get shot. Like at the end of the day, you don't want to get murdered. You can have whatever values, you can have whatever, you know, progressive utopian ideals in your head. But when the rubber meets the road, you don't want to get murdered.
1: Yeah. And and especially in places like New York and L.A. where the, the turnaround in the 90s to the early 2000s was so dramatic. Like a lot of people have this vision of, of New York City for you know the last five years, last ten years, as this hellhole that it is now. And it really was not the case. Like crime was was going down dramatically in in New York and LA. So much so that when I watch television shows that are featured in certain New York City neighborhoods, I laugh because I'm like, that's the like it it used to be when this character was created in the 60s that that was like the mafia controlled area. But I'm like, that's the wealthy gay district now. So it was so much better before in terms of like levels of crime. And now it's just all coming back like we're, we're. we're seeing just a reversal of everything. And it's because people forgot about how bad crime was. And now they're starting to get a taste of it. And I think, you know, if if San Francisco can lose Chesa, then in in Los Angeles, there's definitely a chance. I mean, there's basically a billionaire Republican running with a Democrat mask as the mayor of of Los Angeles. So I think they're trying to push in that direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Did you see. Uh, George Soros' op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about how he's going to continue to fund the progressive DAs and how he thinks that, you know, it's a cause for justice.
1: Yeah, well, I I haven't seen the op-ed specifically. I have heard about it, but yeah i mean he has no reason to not do so he doesn't have to deal with the levels of crime that are going on in this country uh specifically philadelphia they have a horrible da that's funded by soros he actually won re-election, so i don't know what's going on over there but their their murder rate is the or their number of murders is at an all-time high like not not like oh after 1997 where crime dropped in the nation uh, and then we have this bump of a new period just all time, the most people ever being murdered in Philadelphia. And I covered a case where um, a, a, a young a young black guy who was he was doing like DoorDash or something like that. His name was Michael White. He said that he interceded in a fight. In order to de-escalate a situation, he ended up stabbing a guy who was arguing with another person over a parking space. And the district attorney out of uh, Philadelphia, he requested that they downgrade the charges multiple times during the case. Which, if you're the prosecution, you would think that they're prosecuting. They already undercharged him, and this guy ultimately ended up being found not guilty because, of course, he got found not guilty because the prosecution's not interested in prosecuting the case. Yeah. And like the only thing he was convicted of was, you know, destroying, like attempting to destroy the evidence because that was something that even the district attorney in Philadelphia couldn't deny.
0: Yeah. If you were put in charge today of all of these different districts that are dealing with a high crime because of these progressive policies, like what are the first few things that you would change or reverse immediately?
1: Well, the. It's hard to do because crime crime policy or criminal justice intervention should be tailored to the individual cities because what works in New York might not work in Philadelphia. Yeah. But as a blanket policy, any of these goofy bail reforms, like, no way. Like, we're getting rid of that. Like, you, you're you uh, we have these we have these things called judges and mm-hmm. they should be able to use judgment. Like we had some absurd, maybe over prosecutions with mandatory minimums where they removed judgment from the judges. And then we flipped it the other and we're like, well, now the judges can't do anything because we treat them as if they're they're stupid. And, you know, some judges are stupid. But I, I find that to be commandeering the judiciary branch. So I would let them determine the bail, but also not have all these blanket crimes where you could just get out based on, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I would also um I would also, depending on the city, like New York City has a lot of policies that were removed under de Blasio. I would restore those policies and, you know, I would work on different interventions based on the circumstances in the cities that I'm in.
0: All right. Let me tell you about Annie's Kit Clubs. If you are looking for a way to make sure that your kids aren't just sitting for hours on in on their screens and they're actually spending their downtime in a way that is productive, then you need to check out Annie's Kit Clubs. It is a subscription service that sends craft kits to your kids every week or every month, sorry, right to your front door. And they have all different kinds of crafts. So they've got STEM activities. They have craft kits specifically for girls, like jewelry making. They also have building projects for young woodworkers. They've got different kinds of crafts based on the interests and the skills of your kid. And it's super fun. They also have a woman's kit club. So if you're interested in crafting, you can sign up for that as well. You can cancel at any time. Um, you pay month to month. And so if it doesn't work out for you, you can just cancel. No big deal. But I know you're going to love it, especially if you have kids ages 7 to 12. It's really perfect for that age range. Go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. Get your first month 75% off. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie for 75% off that first month. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. What do you say to the point, because this has always kind of been compelling to me, at least just in theory, when people say, "Okay, well, bail, it disproportionately punishes like setting a high bail disproportionately punishes poor people. So basically you're depriving them of their liberty before they have actually gone through due process and have been convicted, um, which some would say is unconstitutional. Like, what do you say to something like that?
1: Well, I I do have issues with excessive bail, but like we have to be clear when you get bail, you're only putting up about 10 percent of it. So anytime you see a giant number like that, if you go to a bail bondsman, you're only putting up a small portion of it. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with lowering the actual dollar amount, but it is important to make sure these people have some skin in the game so that they can return to court. And a lot of a lot of research shows that a community like communal support ends up reducing recidivism rate and if you know you have to get money from people in your community or in your family in order to get you out of jail it's at least some skin in the game and some kind of communal structure in order to make sure you show up to your court dates and all that we we have instances where people have bench warrants which in New York if you're not showing up for court you can't even be put on bail or held in captivity in even though you're proven to not show up in court where these people are committing crimes and they've missed like five or six court dates. And then the police will arrest them and they have to release them right away. So you need something. You can lower the amount because you don't want to criminalize poverty or whatever. But in reality, like a lot of these people are dangerous and they do reoffend when they get out on the streets.
0: Right. Right. All right. I want to talk. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk About the Innocence Project and specifically a story that you just covered, uh, the 1990 Pompano Beach murder case with Robert Earl Hayes killing Pamela Albertson. Uh, Tell us about this case, how the Innocence Project was involved. I believe they were involved. And then what has come of it kind of recently?
1: so the the robert earl hayes case was is one of the earliest in a so-called exonerations of a of a convicted person that was put on death row so he was convicted in the state of florida of murdering pamela alberson and he was convicted due to a new forensic science that totally proved to be unreliable later which of course was dna evidence now since it was a rudimentary dna test this was challenged on appeal and the Florida court ruled that they could not present the DNA in the way that they presented it. And upon retrial, he was actually found not guilty of the murder of Pamela Albertson. And this is because, again, it was like a very it it, it was I think there's like a typically like a, if they're matching samples, they do a match uh, on a scale. And this was like a three based on the science and you know now we're looking at um, at a seven to just not get too much into the science so he's found not guilty however it it turns out that he was actually guilty of another murder In New York, and they reopened this investigation Mm. and he was convicted of that. So for years, he's been featured in this play that has turned into a movie called The Exonerated, where they would tell his story of how Florida, you know, obviously racist because, you know, they accused him of killing a white woman and all that and how he had a relationship with her, which is very similar to the Rodney Reed case and and how there was these like white people hairs that were in her hand and they were pointing the finger at this other guy as the actual killer. So fast forward to him being up for parole in the state of New York for the other murder that he's convicted of and the Innocence Project still working the case and as a way to prove that the system is still biased against him, they decided to retest the previous DNA evidence with modern technology and instead of exonerating him on the crime that he was found that he ended up beating on appeal, they ended up proving his guilt with modern DNA testing. So one of the original faces of the Innocence Project and the exoneration movement is actually 100% guilty.
0: Wow. And have they removed him from, like, their website or anything they use to try to advertise for their services?
1: Well, they they, they try to play flat, fast and loose with the facts. So they'll say, oh, well, he said he had a relationship with her before. But he said that he had a sexual relationship with her before. The DNA evidence was semen evidence. But he said he hadn't been with her in months. So, like, that's not how that's not how semen works. Also, the hairs in the woman's hand were her own hairs. They weren't they weren't uh, they weren't this random person who happened to be unfortunate enough to work in an area where the Innocence Project needed a suspect. So they were basically framing this other guy for this crime. But what's even worse is you actually go through his history and he he has a history because he was a he was a horse groomer and the people that he killed were horse groomers and they lived in living quarters near where the horses are. So that's how he had access to these women. So he actually had a history of uh, of harassing, assaulting and attempting to sexually assault these women, which are all the things that he did in this case. And nobody took note of it, and it wasn't able to be presented at trial as a pattern of behavior, even though it's he had previously choked a woman to unconsciousness after he pinned her to the ground. And the homicide he was being accused of was where he strangled a woman to death and sexually assaulted her. So he's committed these exact crimes over and over again. And yet he's presented as this pillar of innocence. And if you dare accuse him, according to the exonerated, then you're just playing into harmful stereotypes of black men being predatory towards white women.
0: So, again, once again, this is groups like the Innocence Project caring more about violent criminals than they do the innocent victims and we've talked about the Rodney Reed case um previously but could you just give us like a, a brief summary of that and why it's a very it's a very similar kind of situation with them bending the facts in their favor and in some cases just outright lying
1: Yes, yeah, so Rodney Reed is is a case I believe out of out of um, Baston, Texas. I'm not it's it's out of Texas. He was convicted of murdering Stacy Stites in in the 90s and um they used DNA evidence for the sexual assault in order to connect him to the murder. Now, he's been running this campaign about how he was innocent, and actually Stacey Stites was his secret girlfriend, and they've been pointing the finger at the fiancé of Stites at the time, Jimmy Fennell, who, by the way, is not a good person and committed a, a horrible crime years later that's completely unrelated, even though they try to tie it to them. So, during the course of, of this trial, they or during the course of the of the proceedings, the Innocence Project has alleged all manner of insane conspiracies against different texas police departments they've accused a bunch of different people they just happen to be stuck on this former cop who was the fiance and they ended up requesting dna testing more modern dna testing uh, of stite's body and her clothing and they ultimately ended up finding more of rodney reed's dna on her person than they did at trial so they it's another case where they continuously prove this person guilty. And he has a history of sexual assault and even more insane. He actually beat rape charges years before by claiming that he was in a secret relationship with this woman, but because Texas is so racist, he didn't want to tell anybody at the time. So this is a guy that's definitely guilty. He has about seven victims that he wasn't even tried on, even though they have his DNA tied to it. Because in Texas, if you're a death penalty, if you have a death penalty charge, They put you up on the death row case, and then they kind of see what the results of that is, and they don't bother trying you because, you know, if you're on death row, what's the point of convicting you? But he also did rape a 12-year-old girl, and that is proven by the DNA. Whether or not he's technically convicted of that is an absurdity that he likes to play fast and loose with the facts on. But his semen was found in that girl's body.
0: Ugh. And of course, the Innocence Project, when they do these like 10 fast facts about the people that they're defending, of course, they don't include any of that. Like one of their points to say that, well, he's definitely not guilty is this case was racially charged, not even allegedly racially charged, but this case was racially charged. And here's their evidence, their evidence that this was racially charged. Rodney, a black man, was found guilty of murdering Stacy, a white woman, by an all-white jury. So yeah, all, that, I guess, is their evidence.
1: Yeah, all all white jury is just like yeah, the the jury was all white. I mean, he's convicted by DNA evidence and all that, but you know, all white jury yeah. just something you throw out there. And what's funny is when the jury's not all white, they'll say almost all white jury because they just want you to know there were white people on the jury and probably yeah. race had something to do with this.
0: Right. And they also, they do this a lot. They will say that the person, and I think this was in the other case that we talked about, and I forget the name of the guy who was convicted of murdering the dad in front of his daughters.
1: Oh, Julius Jones.
0: Julius Jones. So also same kind of deal with the Innocence Project, but they also did this, and this is in the Rodney Reed case. They say that Arthur Snow, who was a former member of the Aryan Brother and Jimmy Finnell's uh, prison mate the guy that they're trying to say i guess actually killed stacy stites disclosed that jimmy had confessed to murdering stacy stating i had to kill my inward loving fiance now maybe that's true and that could be pertinent infor- information but it's interesting how they're always willing to rely on the testimony of people in prison who have a lot of times like a history of mental health issues and obviously a history of being dishonest the same thing happened in the julius jones case when they're trying to frame this other guy for killing her it's crazy
1: yeah they, and, and a lot of them have personal vendettas against the prosecutors because uh, they had an issue with them in the past. That was one of the things with Julius Jones, where he had a he had a guy who uh, he was convicted of killing a baby by pouring scalding hot water on it. That was the guy that the Innocence Project dragged out to testify on Jones's behalf. But the Fennel thing is the same thing. It's it's they it's a high profile case. It gets a ton of attention. And unfortunately, that brings out a bunch of the weirdos like one of the. One of the people that they brought out was a woman that worked with Stacey Stites, and she says, oh, yeah, she totally randomly one day because we were really good friends told me that she was having an affair with a black man named Rodney. And I'm coming forward now because I'm trying to save Rodney Reed's life. And it's like, well, wait a minute. At the time, they worked at a supermarket called H-E-B. They offered a $50,000 reward for anybody who had information on who could have been involved in Stacey Stites' murder. She didn't come forward at all. They didn't find Rodney Reed for 11 months because they were investigating the fiance the whole time. And the only reason they caught Reed was because he had assaulted two women that fit the same profile of Stacey Stites, brunette around, you know, late teens to you know adult, but like late teens to early 20s in the same exact area that was on her driving route. So yeah, they'll bring out all manner of weirdos and goofballs to say, oh, yeah, they totally confessed to me. And coincidentally, their commissary accounts get flooded with money Mm. from people who are trying to support them. And then people try to take up their cases no matter how guilty they are. So it's a huge financial incentive for people to do so. And there's almost no consequences for some of these people to come forward.
0: All right, another break to tell you guys about Good Ranchers. So if you've listened to my show for any amount of time, you've heard of Good Ranchers. And maybe you even use them yourself, but maybe you need to re-up your subscription. And now is a really good time to do that, not just because they have a discount of $30 using my link, goodranchers.com slash alley, but also because they're giving back this month, the month of August, to young children who often go unfed or end up malnourished from poor access to nutritious food. So they're on a mission right now to donate a hundred thousand high quality meals to those vulnerable kids. And your order of good ranchers helps them accomplish that giving back never tasted so good. So let's help Good Ranchers hit and pass their goal of a hundred thousand meals donated. Go to goodranchers.com slash Ally. Pick out your American beef, your American chicken, your American seafood. It'll show up right to your front door on dry ice. We use it almost every night. Love this company so much, not just their product, but also what they stand for. So you'll be giving to those vulnerable kids vulnerable kids and you'll also be feeding your family. Go to goodranchers.com slash ally. Or use my code Allie to claim your offer of $30 off. That's goodrangers.com slash Allie. I talked about a lot this Melissa Lucio case. Um, It was out of Texas. It was the mother who has spent time in prison and was on death row for the murder of her daughter. And I looked at all the court transcripts. I looked at the evidence that was brought forward. I looked at the affidavits that were signed by CPS workers. And in my estimation, I agreed with what the jury, the conclusion that they came to, the courts of appeals, the conclusion that they came to about the legitimacy of her original trial. And I was like, yes, it absolutely looks like she murdered her daughter and actually one of her other daughters who was alive while she didn't want her mom to get the death penalty she was one of the only siblings one of I think 10 children of Melissa Lucio coming out and saying yes I am absolutely sure that my mom killed Mariah she was making these videos on TikTok and yet we've got the same thing by the Innocence Project it'd be one thing for the Innocence Project to say hey, we know that there is evidence that she abused Mariah. I mean, horrific abuse. We're talking about bite marks. We're talking about genital mutilation of this child. We're talking about ripping hair from her scalp, hitting her, pushing her down the stairs, all this stuff that was evidence that she confessed to. But the Innocence Project doesn't even say any of that. The Innocence Project says there's no evidence of abuse. She was coerced into a confession. Don't really say how she was coerced into a confession. She was a good mom, but she was struggling and she was poor and she was also Hispanic. So apparently like that is yeah. evidence that it was racism, even though the jury was all Hispanic, uh, probably all Hispanic too. This is a very largely Hispanic area. But the same thing, they lie, they manipulate the facts. And when I talked about this, I got blowback from people who said that I am the one being like emotional, not looking at the facts, when really their only evidence is the manipulation of the Innocence Project. I mean, it really makes me mad. It really makes me yeah. mad you
1: you did a fantastic job by the way in that interview with the state representative oh, that thanks. signed on to the innocence project one of my favorite things watching somebody actually have to stand up for the nonsense that they're pushing but to your point about the abuse so they claim she had like a rare disorder that caused bruises yes and one of the things that's pointed out by her daughter selena the one that was making yes. the TikTok videos is that she had imprints of rings in exactly. the bruises so she right. was being punched by these rings by the mother and uh they do things in these cases that are super manipulative and uh the representative tried to do it to you where he said that bite science isn't isn't considered legitimate anymore and And what does that
0: even mean
1: (laughs) so it, it it is true but it's it's not true in the way that it's relevant to this case so there was a killer called the snaggletooth killer uh who bit the victim in this case And they convicted the actual wrong person and they ended up finding a different guy and he was convicted on dental imprint evidence. So what we found out is that these people who say, oh, I could look at a bite and tell you which person did the biting like those people nonsense, total junk forensic science. And that has been thrown out. However, nobody's alleging that through a dental bite match that Melissa Lucio bit her child. You can see the bite mark, and then she says that she bit her child. So it's not an issue of the forensics or the bite evidence being some, you know, flawed evidence or anything like that. Yet people try to spin that. They tell you these two things and make you think that they're related, when in reality it's just, you can know that somebody was bit by somebody else, right. even if you can't forensically match it back to the mouth. Like, you can know that they have a bite mark on them, and then Melissa admitted to biting her, so we could put two and two together, and the bite marks on her back and it's not a normal bruise so she also had insect bites all over her there was a hulu documentary that's actually propaganda for her Total but they propaganda. have some glimps- yeah but they have glimpses of the autopsy photos in there and you can see why the why the coroner called this the worst case of child abuse that she ever saw in her career yeah like it's horrible
0: And it's not just it wasn't just the coroner. It was also the ER doctor. And he had been the ER doctor for 30 years in that area. And he said this is the worst case of child abuse that he had ever seen. And so the whole conspiracy by the Innocence Project and everyone, by the way, that supports her innocence in this case, the conspiracy is that the ER doctor and the coroner and the cops and the jury and the prosecutor and the judge were all conspiring together in one big plot to for some reason like convict this mom of a murder that she did not commit that is extremely far-fetched and not just that but also the paramedic the paramedic that showed up who said who as far as we know has no motivation to say this but who said how odd it was that mariah was laying at the bottom of the stairs on dead at this point and that melissa lucio she wasn't holding on to her daughter. She wasn't distressed. She wasn't sad. She was just kind of distant and standing there. I mean, that is also pertinent information. And the characterization that we get of her by the media, by Innocence Project, is completely different. Um, yeah. Also, that that Hulu documentary that she mentioned, the Selina, Celina, the daughter that was making these TikTok videos, she's sad that the producer, the director of that Hulu documentary, reached out to her and purposely excluded any of the testimony that she and another sibling had because it went against the narrative. Because Celina was like, yeah, I'm, I was one of the only siblings that was living with her at the time. I was old enough to remember, yes, the abuse happened. Hulu did not want to include that.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's the game that they play. They'll bring. So they'll she has 14 kids. Uh, two of them. Mm. She was pregnant with twins at some point, like during the trial. She has 14 kids. They drag out the ones that didn't live with her. By the way, they were taken away by CPS because she was a neglectful parents. So right. The idea that there was no evidence of of maltreatment. She was just this good mother that, you know, the system went after for some reason. Um so they they have. A, it's not just Selena. It's a it's a few of the other kids that are old enough have spoken out that they live there at the time and they remember the mom specifically abusing uh, uh, the child at Mariah after they were returned to her from CPS and specifically Mariah. Of all the children. So, you know, Selena happens to be the one that's doing her TikTok videos and all that. And she's being attacked by people who just got invested because Kim Kardashian hyped it up. And people (laughs) are saying, oh, you're contradicting because you said she wasn't abusive. And then she was. And she's like, no, no, she wasn't abusive. We were taken away for neglect. And then when we returned to the house, that's when I saw the abuse of my sister.
0: Yeah. And she thinks her guess is that her mom, which this is obviously not an excuse at all, but She says her mom probably didn't bond with Mariah because when Mariah was an infant, that's when CPS. And this was like, I don't know, maybe the 10th visit from CPS because of like neglect. And also she had been like testing positive for drug use while she was supposed to be clean while parenting her kids. But she they came to to uh visit lucio her kids as you said were very neglected very graphic details of like what the kids were suffering from um and then they also found baby mariah who was an infant at the time covered in bug bites ants um Soil diaper had obviously just kind of been left there. So Mariah was taken out of the home, returned back to Melissa Lucio. um, And then that is when, as Celina says, she started abusing the girl that was now two years old. And, like, I'm sympathetic to the argument that, look, she shouldn't get the death penalty because there's not enough evidence to prove that she intentionally, like, murdered her. Okay, maybe she just threw her down the stairs hoping to hurt her. I guess you could just say that. Like, I'm sympathetic maybe if the Innocence Project and others were saying, okay, she should, uh, this happened and she is guilty of abuse, but she shouldn't get the death penalty because of XYZ. OK, but when they swing to the direction of saying that she's innocent and I see people who are almost willfully at this point manipulated by these talking points, even people who profess to be conservatives. I mean, that really bothers me.
1: It's it's not only that she's innocent. It's like the, you know, the bigger the lie, the easier the sell. It's that she's mm. a great mother. Yeah. Like, you know, a mother should aspire to be like her. And it's <sighs> it's it's just absurd. And the thing is, is. I understand not wanting to execute this person or thinking maybe this sentence is too harsh, but the Innocence Project wants to get these people out, make them famous, so then they become multi-millionaires off of this, and they end up profiting off the crime. And to me, first of all, the idea that you didn't intend to kill a baby when you threw it down the stairs, like th- right. that is you made the conscious decision to throw it down the stairs. If you're too stupid to know that that's probably going to kill the child, you then maybe heard. we have a like low IQ defense from the death penalty. Mm-hmm. But Centoya uh, Brown was a perfect case of this. This girl was convicted at age 16 of murdering uh, Johnny Allen. And she claimed that it was self-defense, that he tried to rape her and all that. And they 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 did this thing where they would cut together her accusing her pimp, who was her boyfriend that she ran away to be with, of violence against her. And they kind of pinned that on Alan. But in reality, he hired her as a prostitute. Not a good thing to do. He thought she was 18, which is what Centoya told us, because Johnny Allen died. And she shot him in the back of the head while he slept and then robbed him. And they were pretending like she was innocent and she was just defending herself against this rapist. She actually stated multiple times that they didn't have – like she said that she wasn't in the mood to do anything sexual. And he said fine. And so she shot this guy in the back of the head. They made her out to be the victim. She gets out of prison because she got a long sentence for a young girl. And I would have let her out based on her age at the time. And now she is a best-selling author, even though she's recorded on prison audio calls, describing her killing this man as an execution. So she definitely committed this crime, she definitely robbed him, and then she becomes a famous symbol of innocence and becomes wealthy, and that's too much for me to stomach for these cases.
0: Yeah, man people just don't understand the giant grift in the money making industry that is so many parts of leftism and so many parts of left wing activism and that's not to say there aren't grifters on the right like with their own you know pet projects where they're trying to like make money off of things too but i mean obviously we know that these left wing organizations are much better organized well funded and also glorified by the media in a way that Right-wing organizations or movements, whatever they may be, are not. I I know a lot of people who call themselves conservative Christians. Who I mean, they might be conservative when it comes to LGBTQ stuff or a variety of things, but when it comes to things that they think they they think the empathetic position is to be like pro bail reform or anti-death penalty or anti-long sentences in general or open borders, they get really easily sucked in by this stuff, by people like the Innocence Project. I think that's why it makes me mad, not just because they're using victims and like using the blood of victims to make money, but also because they're extorting ignorant emotional people and getting their money from them to fund their causes. That really, I mean, that just makes me sad.
1: It sounds like the best cause ever. There are innocent people, which we all know is true to a certain extent, that are behind bars for crimes they didn't commit. And we want those people
0: out of prison. We actually want those people out of prison who are actually innocent, of course. And, and the Innocence
1: Project is the one doing that. And they, they'll, they'll do – they count all these different exonerations in order to bolster their numbers. They count if the conviction was reduced to like a life sentence from a death penalty sentence as an exoneration. And a lot of what they actually did for the actually legitimately guilty people to get them out of prison was just taped uh, – do DNA testing on rapes and murders that were – you know, the where the semen didn't exist at the or you couldn't test the semen at the time, and that's how they bolster the numbers. So in that regard, they did fine work by testing that old evidence. But in reality, they're just an anti-death penalty organization that by any means necessary is going to try to get these people who did commit the crimes or didn't commit the crimes, most of the time did out of prison.
0: I think in some ways, maybe not all of them, but I think they might also be anti-incarceration. Um in some ways, or at least incarceration for a certain group of people that they say are marginalized, because that is also a commonality in a lot of the cases they take up is that they are typically black or they're typically Hispanic. And really, that actually seems to be the driving force. It's not innocence. It is their like presupposition, their idea that... Any kind of uh, any kind of negative treatment or any kind of negative consequence of a black person is racism. And of course, that follows this idea that America is systemically racist. If you believe America is systemically racist, so all of the systems and everyone in it is therefore motivated by racism, then it really doesn't matter whether or not a convicted Black person is innocent, because you would say that the whole premise was wrong from start to finish because the system is racist. So that, I think, is really what leads them to these conclusions. They know they can't sell that, though, to the public, because that most people know that that doesn't really make sense.
1: Yeah, most people, if the guy's guilty, uh, they're not going to think of him as the victim. That's one of the the reasons why in these self-defense cases, the people get so outraged over this because they can see these videos and they get enraged. But the Innocence Project's advantage is real. They have better storytellers than us. Um, people don't know this, but the Making of a Murderer, Stephen Avery documentary series on Netflix that kind of took the country by storm. That is Innocence Project propaganda. That guy is 100 percent guilty of oh, that murder. Interesting.
0: And that, see, I watched yeah, that a few years ago. I don't remember – now, I've always kind of been skeptical of those kind of things. I don't remember what my conclusion was after watching it, but you definitely at least feel sympathetic for the guy.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And because he he was wrongfully convicted of a crime before, but he did do this crime. And one of the things they leave out of the documentary is that they 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 accused, like, blood of being planted and all these other things of being planted at the scene. But all of this woman's bones, including the fragments of her bones, were found on his property. So the idea yeah. that the police murdered this woman and then burned her and then transferred 100% of her bones and the pieces to his property is absurd. And they found his sweat DNA on the under latch of her car. He also called her twice with Star 69 to lure her to the property and then called and left her a voicemail saying like she never showed up to give him an alibi after he had killed her. And they and then he had later admitted that he was lying about her not showing up to the property. So he wouldn't have needed to give himself an alibi if he didn't kill her. The sweat DNA can't be planted. They don't collect your yeah. sweat DNA at any stage of the criminal justice process. So it's ironclad that this guy's guilty. And that but that was a national series. Yeah. And people were demanding that the uh, the governor and his name lose me at the time. But he won a recall. Um, What's his name? Wisconsin governor. Mm. Um. But they were, they were demanding that he give him a pardon.
0: Well, there are a million other cases and a million other things that I could talk to you about. But I do appreciate the work that you do just showing the other side of this. I'm guessing it's not quite as lucrative um, as the Innocence Project side. And you probably don't get quite as much praise from the media. So where can people support you in the work that you do?
1: Uh, I mean, you could support me by uh, following me on Twitter at I am ninety on Instagram at Actual Justice or at my YouTube channel uh, Actual Justice Warrior. You could always just watch the videos there. You know, ad revenue is a thing and all that. At, but you know, there's donation links associated if you were so inclined, but not necessary.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on.
1: All right. Thank you.